right, today's scripture is from Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Thank you, guys. Hey, let's thank them. Let's thank Japheth and Katie. All right. Again, yeah, thank you, guys, Japheth and Katie. Um, so good to hear from you. So um, this morning, would you go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1? As you heard, that's where we'll be primarily this morning as we walk through this Advent season together. So turn with me in Luke 1. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up, and somebody will get you one, okay? So hold it up, keep it up, somebody will get you a copy of God's Word. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene ningún um, Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en Lucas capítulo 1. Um, and again, if you don't own a Bible, please keep this one, okay? It's our gift to you. We want to make sure we all have a copy of God's Word to read and understand and follow along with. And so this morning, even as you saw there as we read, we're looking at... Um, I guess for the first time this Advent season, we're kind of honing in on what is maybe considered the more traditional Christmas story, right? We've looked at, um, over the last couple weeks, we looked at anticipated hope, and we walked through some, some passages in the Old Testament, and then last week, Stephen preached through um, a promised hope and what that looks like for us now. So now this morning, as we look at Mary and the life of Mary and, and, and how God included her in his incredible grand story, we're looking at an unlikely hope. All right, so let's um, go ahead and pray together uh, before we get into our time together in Luke 1. Again, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we've had together. Um, even in ways we don't know necessarily, you are forming and transforming us. Lord, as we go through the, the, this season, this, this, this time of year, each year, Lord, we pray that our anticipation for your return, for your second coming would be strengthened, Lord, would be informed, and that even as we look back and we remember your faithfulness over thousands and thousands of years to continue to time and time again um, let your story, your plan unfold in your perfect wisdom. Lord, we pray that that would inform and empower us as we now move forward into, um, into the unknown. Lord, to live as a people, a hopeful people, anticipating the full and final fulfillment of all of your promises. In Jesus, it's in his name we pray. Amen. So um, I was talking to someone this morning about football a, a bit. He was wearing a Denver Broncos shirt. Actually, his um, fiance was wearing a Denver Broncos shirt. And so being a fiance, she's now a Denver Broncos fan, right? So she's wearing it. I know we got a couple others over here. I know Joe over here and some other folks. We got some Broncos fans. Well, sorry. Um, I was all about those Browns right now, okay? Um, so if you were watching, there was a football game last night, and um, those of you who ride fixed gear bikes and drink craft coffee, you don't know what that is, but um, it's sports, and um, it's, uh, it's this crazy thing where people run into each other and sweats and stuff like that. Well, um, in that, I, I'm a lifelong uh, San Diego Padres fan. I was also talking with someone else here this morning about that, and I've been told a number of times when I wear my 
Padre hat that I'm the first real Padres fans a number of people have ever met. They're like, well, they have fans, like real fans? It's not just people that like San Diego for the beach and SeaWorld and other things and wear the hat. It's like, no, I really like them. Um, and so why is that? Well, I've been accused of being like the ultimate underdog fan, which I don't get. I mean, being short and having a stutter, I mean, what do I have to be an underdog about, right? Like, but I've been... You're, you're laughing. No, um, but, but I've been, um, I do. I love the underdog. In fact, a friend of mine, um, uh, pastor at Redemption Tempe, jokes, and, and I've, as, after he made this joke, I'm like, he's kind of right. I'll switch allegiances during games sometimes based on who's losing and who, like, the real, like, who do I think can come back and beat the odds? And I think most of us are this way. Most of us tend to cheer for the under. There are some weird people out there that like like the Yankees and the you know Patriots and all the Lakers or whatever, all the teams that always win. But I think even they, like I was around in the 80s and 90s, those were both really bad teams. And again, for those of you that don't connect with sports, I, I think it expands to all of us as well. Um, right? Like romantic comedies, you know, our very own, Tucson's very own um, Camp Bum, Me Love. How many of you guys know that movie? 80s movie. Well, it's it's filmed here at Tucson High, Tucson Mall, all this stuff. It's the ultimate underdog story, right? And there's more and more, all the greats, right? Um, Notting Hill, right? See, I know these things. I'm not, you know, I don't only talk sports, right? I'm all about Julia Roberts and what's his name? Hugh Grant, see? Um, I know these things. The ultimate underdog, Hugh Grant and the Cleveland Browns. That's what you should remember from this sermon. But again, there's, there's some element there I think written on our hearts that, and as you read the scriptures, as you read God's word, God never shares his glory. And, and in fact, it's, the, it's good of him not to share his glory because we would forget, we would settle to think, oh, maybe, maybe it's about that person. Oh, maybe God chose to use Abraham because he was a really good leader and he was just, he was catalytic and influential. So therefore, and sometimes sermons get filled with these kind of things like, hey, these five things can make you a better leader and therefore more useful and more approved of by God and more significant part of his story if you do these things. But especially in this Christmas story, as we look at what we, as we look at how God works, we see that God would choose an unlikely time, an unlikely place, and then specifically as we hone in on Mary, we see an unlikely person to be significant players in the greatest story ever, in the, in the ushering in of God's kingdom in an unlikely way through the birth of God the Son, Jesus. And so let's, as we enter into this story and we begin to read about Mary, consider just how unlikely she is. And in, in first here, we see again an unlikely person and an unlikely place. So um, pick up with me in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. So it, just a couple things that we might not pick up on right away as we read this story, right? We, we read, oh, Nazareth, right? G Galilee, okay, that stuff's famous, right? There are songs written about it. Well, like, let's not get the cart and the horse mixed up here, okay? The songs are written because of what God did there. But when people read this, it would be like saying, 
and God's, this angel came down and this story came in, um, in, in Yuma. And you're like, oh, good things. And I, one of our elders, David, is from Yuma. I see him because he's tall and you know, he's, he's, he's mean mugging me right now. But, right, let's be real. Like, Yuma, Fresno, I mean, some of these, like, I'm from El Cajon, San Diego, the box. Like, whenever people, oh, what, you're from where? San Diego. Oh, wow, where? El Cajon. And if they know it, they're like, oh, okay, oh, that part, right? Like, there are always those places. If we're honest, guys, Tucson might fit in that category sometimes, according to some people, okay, not to most of us. But that's like, so when God's big story is coming, and we're not very self-aware, let's just be real, okay, so... Like sometimes that's our, that's our, our, you know, issue. But Nazareth was definitely that. In fact, elsewhere it said, it said nothing good comes from Galilee. Like nothing good comes from these places. So that's people's expectation. So if God was like looking to reveal his grand story, why would he choose such an unlikely place? But again, it's true of his character. That's how he works. He wants to reveal his power so that his glory can't be confused by anything else other than he is at work. And in this case, in the most, most unlikely place. And then it picks up in verse 27, not just in an unlikely place, but it says, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And so some of these things that are said there about this case, so she's a virgin betrothed to be married. So she's of marrying age, which, it, which at this time was in her young teens. Okay, she's a young woman. And in this place, and I would just kind of pause and acknowledge, even in our culture today, there are different, different, different demographics, different groups of people who have more power, who just, let's just call it like it is, maybe life is easier for or meet less resistance. Well, in this time, a young unmarried woman would be at, toward the very bottom of the power structure. And yet you see time and time again, God coming to and, 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 and elevating the status and giving value and worth and then choosing to include in his powerful story the most unlikely, the most vulnerable. And so this young woman, Mary, she doesn't have any power. And then we learn elsewhere that she's poor. So even, even greater is her plight. And yet God chooses to use her. And so something else about being betrothed, okay, so we understand this, is it's not like in our day when sometimes you get people that are like, Pre, pre-engaged, right? Like they're Facebook officials, so they start to plan their, their future together and all these things, and they're shacking up together, and it's like, oh, yeah, hey, we're going to be married one day, but, oh, yeah, when? Oh, well, I don't know. Well, have you asked her? No, but, you know, what, you know, oh, so you're engaged now, and you got your pre-engagement ring, but, you know, and we just kind of treat it like very flippantly. That's not the cultural reality of that day. If you were betrothed, right, you were engaged to be married, it was a covenantal promise that could only be broken by divorce, and certain things made you able to break that, and one of them was unfaithfulness. And so here we hear that this young virgin girl, right, virgin, she's never had sex before, and now she's pregnant, and she's not yet married, and the husband knows, well, I haven't had sex with you, but you're pregnant. Uh, like, I'm not super sharp, but I can put two and two together here. You know, you've probably not been faithful, and her life would be over. This would be terrible news. This is not good news. If you know the word, the gospel means good news. Well, she right now is hearing bad news. Okay, she's about to hear that she's pregnant. And she discovers this and it's like, oh, my life is over. And I'm going to get divorced or broken up with and no man will ever marry me. And it's, it's just hopeless. And yet, 
this angel now gives her a message of good news. He shares the gospel with her. He, he turns what would be an unlikely situation of hope into incredible good news. He says this, okay, picking up in, in verse uh, 29, or no, verse 28. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive. Okay, so, so there's this, this good news, this, this message of favor from God, and she's confused. And it's like, right, if you've ever received a text that you knew you weren't supposed to get, right, or you've ever, someone ever called you and was like, hey, guess what, you this and this, you're invited, you're going to be at the, at the place of honor, you're going to get, you know, all these things, and you're like, well, I think you have the wrong person. I think you meant to call the CEO, like, I'm, I'm not, that's above my Hey, great, you know, that's not where I fit here. And yet this angel's like, no, 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 I know who I'm talking to here. God, God has a big plan for you. In fact, you are favored by God. And just again, enter in here to this story, because I think many of us think, God, you don't know me. You don't know my story, right? Perhaps someone maybe speaks a word of encouragement over you, or, or, there's a, or someone gives you an affirmation and says, I could see, I, I hear your broken story. I could see God using that for his glory in incredible and profound ways. And we just think, yeah, I don't think so, right? You don't know what I've done. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know my history. You don't know, you don't know my sin patterns and struggles. And we sometimes respond to one another and also to God in this way. Yet the message here that is clear is that God in his bigness and his grace and his power loves to usher in his perfect story, to, 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 to grandstand himself and his work through unlikely people. And again, before we move on here, let us recognize just how countercultural this is. Okay, we are swimming, we often use this, this imagery, we're swimming in polluted waters that completely disagrees with what I said. Even some of us in here would be saying with our mouths, amen, amen, but in our, bigness, in our business practices, in our interpersonal exchanges, in who we sit next to at the proverbial cafeteria lunch table, you know, whatever the grown-up version of that is, right? Or in, I don't know, Instagram likes, or I don't know what equates, you know, that. Or for those here who in our redemption youth, right, you still have that, right? Like, who am I gonna sit by? And if you're ever that kid who's like me, like, oh, hey, I got an open seat. Hey, I got an open seat. And when someone like, Hey, does that look like, hey, yeah, all right, yeah, you know, yeah. I see that seat, but I'm looking for another one, right? Like, that's just the way we operate. What's going to be better for me? No, 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 I don't, I'm not going to sit at this place. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interact with people, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to posture myself in such ways. And I, I think God uses me like, right, Benjamin Franklin, not the Bible. God helps those who help themselves, right? God's, God's sitting there looking for the most likely people, and, and we got to present ourselves in that way to one another, to God, and then even to ourselves. Yet the good news of the gospel is no, God is this. We, I love this phrase that we've heard. There are no little people and no little places. Right? That informs how we move ahead as a church. Right? When we think about the things God has given us, the people, the finances, the resources, we don't think, oh, well, now we've got this. Okay, so we should, we should reach the have-nots and we embrace trickle-down spiritual economics and the influencers will just change everyone. Know that time and time again, the, 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 the story of the gospel is that, again, there are no little people, no little places that the Lord entrusts to people to now go into in a, in a picture just like Jesus to descend. 
okay, to enter into, to, to enter into where, where there is brokenness, into where there is unlikely hope. And then the message continues to get confusing as he says, hey, and this isn't just, just some like kind of good news for you right now in your life, but this has global historic implications. So now pick up with me when the angel goes on and he says there in verse 30. And this is what we read this morning is our scripture reading. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And it gets better, verse 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, that's God's people, forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Okay, this, again, we read this right now in 2018, almost 2019, and we read it because we know the Christmas story. Like, oh yeah, okay, cool, like a kingdom that will have no end. It will reign forever, right? We sing songs about it and stuff, but we don't, one, culturally in that time, man, kingdoms didn't reign forever, all right? They were constantly like, sons were killing dads because they wanted to take their place as kingdoms, and then this kingdom raised up, and, and, and just read through the old Testament. Time, read, read through the Chronicles, okay? If you ever think that's boring because it kind of sounds boring, like it's incredible. Like you just see action-packed stuff and kingdom is raising up and then crashing down and the narrative throughout it all is God is working. But the promise from the very beginning is that God would establish a kingdom that would be unlike any other kingdom in the entire world that's ever been known. Unlike Rome or Greece or Come on, somebody, the United States of America. All right, I'm thankful for where I'm from and for where we live and for the blessings that we have, but this isn't the eternal kingdom. Okay, so when we, when we consider what it looks like to have hope, as we've talked about a couple of weeks ago, it's easy for us to, to more identify with Babylon, right? We tend to look through lenses of, oh, we're exiles. No, we're, we're citizens right now in Babylon. We're in one of the most powerful kingdoms. It would be really easy for us to put our hope in this kingdom that we know right now and in, in the goods and the, in the, in, 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 in the freedoms and the things that we should be thankful for, absolutely, but should not be the place of our ultimate um, allegiance and hope. Okay, and so this message here is, listen, through you, through this child in your womb, the kingdom that will have no end is coming. And again, for us, this might seem out of the blue. Okay, Mary's just sitting there, you know, chilling, doing her thing, I don't know, playing Xbox, and this, and this angel shows up and is like, hey, uh, FYI, you're going to have a baby, and it's going to be, like, no, this is fulfilling the longings of God's people for years and years and years of a promised kingdom. And a first century audience who is reading this account from Luke would, would, would recite or would remember God's promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7. So um, to turn with me there. And we see this, this promise that was made to King David. And again, the author is intentional to say that, that this Joseph, who she's betrothed to, is from the house of David. Okay, so the line of God's promises are being fulfilled, right, and anticipated. And then this is what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 7. To King David, right before he would die, it says this. 
when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, that means and when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And if you know the story, Solomon was not the fulfillment of that promise. He did a lot of things. The temple got bigger. God's God's land got bigger. And then it got divided. And then it got invaded. And then it got, got ransacked. And then it was like no more. And yet God's hope isn't so easily undone. He's promising a glorious kingdom that would come in an unlikely way through an unlikely person at an unlikely time. But it would be a glorious kingdom that would last forever. And that's the throne that Jesus would come and sit on. But Jesus doesn't come right triumphantly this first time with, you know, flashes, lights flashing and on his big white horse. And it's right, he comes as a a little vulnerable baby. Born at an unlikely time in an unlikely way, right, in a manger, right? We see a manger there to an unlikely person. And his kingdom would be established in an unlikely way by laying down his life on the cross. Okay, we sing a song sometimes. I don't think we're singing it today, but it's, uh, it's from a, a manger to a tree. We, we, we talk about this, the re- re- reality that there's a manger where Jesus is born but, but his end was already determined, okay, that his kingdom would be ushered in when he laid down his life on the cross. And so like you and I, similarly like Mary here in verse 34, we hear this good news, we hear this, this eternal hope, but in an unlikely way, and we ask how, right? Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Again, in her place, she's looking around like, I don't see it, like, I've never laid with a person. How am I going to have a baby? Like, God, your plan doesn't really, doesn't really, doesn't really add up to me. Again, how, does, how is that true in your life? How is that true in our lives? How is that true in, in countless families, house churches around the world right now, different places where God's great promises in his grand story in, 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 the, in this time of year, people are called to, to enter into this Advent season, this anticipation of the second coming of Jesus, his glorious return, and look around and say, how? How? And yet here's the good news. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be, will be born, the child to be born will be called holy. Holy means set apart, the Son of God. And then he goes on and explains things. But before we get in that, first in verse 35, first the message is this, um, you don't know all the details, all right? And, and even now that I'm sharing the details with you, they might not make sense, and then we'll get there in a, in a second, but he gets ahead to, in verse 38 and 37 and ultimately says, everything's possible with God, so let that be enough for you. Let your hope not be, not be built upon your circumstances or what makes sense to you, but let your hope be built upon the proven fulfillment of God's promises. And in this time, he says, and it's crazy to you, he says, listen, this one who's coming from you, it's, it's unlikely. This born is gonna be Fully, this baby to be born is going to be fully God and fully human. 
right? Some of us hear that stuff, we're like, oh yeah, cool, right? I know that. Or, or even we've gone to seminary or, or we read all the books and we're like, and we talk about this stuff and we read God's theology as though it's like high level, like library type stuff, right? It's highbrow. Like you got to have an English accent to like talk about it, right? It's, it's big time stuff. You got to put on a monocle and talk about, you know, the, the hypostatic union, right? Fully God and fully man. And we think that's what theology is for. But time and time again, God's message of good news is ground level stuff. It's like, it's, it's for, for the hood, all right? It's meant for, it's meant for real life. It's meant for, for, for meat and potatoes, for, for, for flesh and blood stuff. And he, he, he explains this crazy maker, this mind-blowing stuff that, that the good news of God, the hope of the world is coming fully God and fully man. Whoa, wait, what? And he, and he delivers this, this high theology as a message of hope and assurance and calming good news to a scared young woman who just found out she's pregnant. She's not yet married and she's pregnant. And yet the m- message is, listen, it has to be this way. It has to be with woman that, that, that it's with someone that there's no doubt She's never had sex with anyone. There's no other way she could be pregnant, and yet she's pregnant. So this baby is in a womb of a woman, so he's fully man. He has her DNA. He probably looks like her a little bit. He's got, you know, he cries, he poops, he throws up, he's, you know, he needs to be burped. And yet he's God, conceived of the Spirit, right? He says the Holy Spirit will come upon you or will overshadow you, will overwhelm you. And, and so this baby will be fully God, so he will be able to be perfectly sinless. High, high theology that has real, ground-level, everyday life application, and it's good news, amen? And then finally, um, he, he does, I'll just say quickly, he says there in verse 36, he kind of sets the stage, Luke does. We're not going to get into the whole next part, but he talks about her cousin, Elizabeth, who's of old age. And he says, listen, she's pregnant too. She's about six months along. So John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin, and he's six months older. And this whole, this whole next section after this, which again, we're not going to get into this mo- morning, is incredible. What does she do when she hears this good news? She runs and goes and tells somebody else about it because she has to. And when she does, this beautiful story of mutual encouragement takes place where this older woman who thought she was unable to have kids, like my wife and I were and many others in our congregation that are walking through infertility, and struggle. And then in this case, this young, unmarried, pregnant woman, this unplanned pregnancy, and God uses his glorious work, his good news in, in different people together in community to mutually affirm and encourage one another and to remind each other of God's glory and his power and how he works in unlikely ways. And that's what happens in that beautiful story. So I would encourage you to continue on at some point to, to read through this whole chapter. And then Mary sings a song, which I'm not going to get too into this year. I tend to every year. But it should be the Christmas song that's about Mary, not the other one about Mary not knowing the stuff that the angel just told her. All right? So anyway, the Magnificat, that's the real Christmas song, right? But let's close with this. In verse 37 and 38, The angel reminds her of this good news. Nothing will be impossible with God. That's enough. Sometimes that has to be enough. 
How? How's this going to happen, God? You don't understand. My bank account doesn't. We know of a church here in town. Um, they sometimes feed um, our homeless neighbors in um, Armory Park there. And we met them, and it's Pastor Amos, and I got to become friends with him. Guess how he planted a church? As a homeless man. He was homeless at the time, and God told him, you're called to plant a church, and your church is going to be a blessing to the, to the displaced and the marginalized. And he's like, well, uh, I'm displaced, and I'm marginalized. Don't you need to kind of fix my state first, and then I can, again, kind of trickle down what you give to me? That's how it works. God's like, no, 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 no. In this case, I'm going to plant your church while you're homeless. And they've got a building, right? they got more than we could say, right? They've got a building. they got a van. They're doing all kinds of incredible things. And it's, no one would write that story. It's got, in that, in his case, and just like in Mary, it's enough that just simply says, nothing is impossible with God. He's proven himself time and time again. For us, we have the benefit of looking at the cross and the empty tomb. Nothing is impossible with God. God brought in victory through defeat. And then he raised his son from the dead. And then he promised that he will one day return and usher in his glorious kingdom, which we heard about last week. So we too, like Mary, can simply say in verse 38, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Nothing is impossible with God. And then Mary responds, as I pray we respond this morning. So Lord, here we are. We're your servants. We trust in you. Our hope is built on you who tend to work in unlikely ways at unlikely times through unlikely people. But Lord, you are able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Let's pray together. Again, Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your good news. Lord, I do pray that we would respond this morning in song, in giving, in communion, in prayer. Lord, I pray for everyone here this morning, Lord, there are very likely people that are in situations and circumstances that they can't make sense of. And for those of us who maybe right now in this moment happen to be able to, to feel pretty good, there's that kind of that cloud always lingering that we know it's kind of like a house of cards or the game Jenga that could come crashing down at any point. And yet, Lord, in you, we can have a hope that's built that will last and a kingdom that will last forever. Where, where God, fully, fully God and fully man, who came into this world as a baby, now sits on a throne that will last forever and will one day return, will wipe away every tear, Lord, will undo every wrong. So Lord, I pray that that good news would inform who we are and how we live and how we worship in this season and in this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.